Welcome to the CultureWise Podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints in their relational networks. For more information about this podcast, check out our pilot episode titled, What Is This Podcast About? My name is Daniel Schubert, and I am joined today by Ross Anderson. In today's episode, we want to discuss framing the gospel message to the Latter-day Saints part. So how, how do we share the good news with Latter-day Saints in a way that actually sounds like good news to them? Today, let's think about and discuss how we can frame our message to Latter-day Saints so that it's appealing to them. Ross, how do we begin this great task? Well, uh, first of all, I just want to mention to our audience that when we talk about framing the message in a way that appeals, we're not talking about soft peddling the gospel truth. Mm. We're not talking. I don't. I don't. I'm not interested here at all in saying, "Oh, we're not going to talk about sin, or we're not not going to talk about human need, or call for repentance." Or so, but but we are talking about the gospel is good news. That's the essential meaning of the word, right? And so, so good news to one person you know it might be a it might be a certain aspect of the gospel that appeals to them to their sense of good news and draws them toward um toward a recognition of their need or it meets a need or it speaks to an area where they're they sense a need already and so so we're not talking about soft peddling anything we're just talking about how to think through how we frame the gospel so that we don't create unnecessary barriers and so that we people really do realize oh you know god is good mm-hmm. you know and god mm-hmm. wants something good for me and he offers something good to me mm-hmm. and then of course we'll have to come to grips with the bad news to get to the good news somewhat too but but that's the that's how we're how i'm trying to frame this conversation today right yeah if my wife comes home from a day at work and says daniel i've got some good news okay i'm all ears she may say something, and and my response may be, "So is that the good news, or what? What is that?" Uh, because I may not actually have the correct understanding, the ears to hear it, or the context to get. Well, why is that? Why is that actually good news? Why do I want to hear that? And so here we're not trying to change the gospel message, but have it be received as good news. Yeah, which it, the good news that it actually is. Mm-hmm. And so the starting point, I think. As I've thought about this, my starting point has been, you know, we're taking, thinking about how do we frame our message to Latter-day Saints. I thought, well, let's think first about how do Latter-day Saints frame their message to us? Yeah. You know, maybe there's something we can learn from that and, and in terms of thinking through the way they think about ideas or whatever. Uh, and so let's just start with that, you know. Um, I think one way that they frame their message to us is to appeal to family, so they're going like they have these great family values, you know, we're upstanding American citizens and you know we have these uh you know we're training our kids to be good people and all the rest. And then there's the piece about eternal families. That, like, you know, that this idea that families are forever um I don't know if that's still a bumper sticker, but it was for a long <laughs> time people put bumper sticker on their thing and yeah. and so they I think they're trying to appeal to us to make Mormonism sound like good news to us by saying that we can have great families and that they can last beyond this life, right? Right. I, I've been asked a number of times by missionaries or, or neighbors, uh, 
Well, don't you love your family? Wouldn't wouldn't you want to be with your family forever? And of course, I can't say no to that, uh, especially in front of my family. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but more realistically, what what they're trying to communicate is 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 their message is actually appealing to to most people that that love their family. Well, y- yeah. Yeah, I do. I do want that. I, that sounds like a good message to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And so that there's an appeal. They're making an appeal to us to make it sound good. And if it was true, there's some truth. There, it would be good in many ways. But another thing that maybe it's not as current. I don't know. But I and I encourage our listeners to think this through um, for themselves in their own setting about what the appeal that they hear from Mormonism. But one thing that I've heard over the years is, is sort of a moral appeal, an appeal to good people to say, Hey, we're good people too. Um, we're, we're great people. We found something that's meaningful to us. We're also, we're also just like you. We're not weird. We're not bizarre, you know, so that I, I remember uh, not that long ago, there was the, this media campaign called meet the Mormons and and the whole center central idea for that was like oh hey i i ride a motorcycle and i'm a mormon i'm a surfer and i'm a mormon i'm an artist and i'm a mormon so in other words and it's been good for me and it's helped me in my my life in other words that we're good people and we're a lot like you and so yeah. you know that hopefully they're saying uh, we hope that appeals to you sure sure that makes sense so there's this this consistent appeal to the gospel mm-hmm. that they're proclaiming. To their gospel, yeah. And I think the biggest one still is the idea of the restoration, at least particularly toward people with some kind of a, a Christian framework, um, even if it's a nominal Christian framework, that the idea that um, the church that Jesus founded, although it was lost, it's been restored, and it represents God and speaks for him. Related to that, the whole idea, God still speaks today. There are living prophets. There's additional scripture that's going to be a uh, additional witness to Christ, that they have the real authority to act for God. They have important truths that once were lost, but now have been recovered. And I, I, you know, I can understand that might not be much of an appeal to a person who's never had a Christian framework at all, but to someone who has had a sense of, oh, I, I understand, oh yeah, there's a thing called prophets, oh, there's a thing called you know Christianity, whatever, Jesus, God, that that might have an appeal to a lot of people who are at least nominal in, in some kind of Christian faith. Yeah, and especially for many who may have uncertain questions about specific beliefs. Well, what should I believe about this? What should I believe about that? And the restoration story conveniently answers many of those hard questions well, how should a person be baptized as an infant or as a, mm-hmm. a, a believer? Or how should um, how should this practice be done? Those those are questions that are often answered uh, based on the restoration story or some of the mm-hmm. subsequent unfolding events mm-hmm. that were recorded. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, there's a number of unique kind of answers they have that that speak to people on, on an individual appeal. We said we talked about family, but there's also this sense of like, oh, what happens after I die? You know, um, mm-hmm. there's a sense of like, oh, we have an answer. What about people who've never heard of you know the message of faith? That how, they have an answer for things like that. You know, that people often find personally appealing. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, that used to be there. 
their message was a critique. Their, it wasn't so much an appeal, but it was a critique, saying all of Christendom outside of Mormonism is apostate, and you're wrong and we're right, and we're, in fact, we're the only ones who are right. But they've, but they've really changed that, that sense over the generation or so um, to say, look, we're going to acknowledge that you have a lot of truth, and so you're good people, and, and you're not totally out to lunch, but bring all the truth that you have in your tradition, and why don't you come bring it to us, and we'll see if we can add something that's important to it. Hmm. And so that, that kind of appeal, or that they kind of frame their message in terms of like, hey, you know, um, join us in, we have a lot of values that are the same, and, and we respect you, and, but we, we think we can add value or add something meaningful to your faith experience. Right, and that may really strongly appeal to people who have been in a, a faith experience for a while. Um, m- maybe they're getting a little bored by it. Maybe they feel like they've 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 figured out the whole church thing. There's there's not usually new stuff that they're experiencing on a Sunday morning, and so to hear oh wait there's more oh that's interesting mm-hmm. I want to hear about that. Yeah, or their faith experience has failed them in some way, hmm. or they feel like it has that it that it feels maybe it was nominal, maybe it was cultural, and they feel like oh this this thing seems relevant. It seems like oh look they're they're. They're on top of it. That it's the real deal. Um, let's go. Ch- let's go check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So those are some ways that uh, the Latter Day Saints might appeal to uh, others that they're they're trying to communicate their gospel message to. But how can we how can we understand those and and how should we respond with the good news to some of those things? Yeah. And one of the things that uh, bring that up is that we you know we can really answer all those questions apologetically. Um, we've got, you know, the question, their whole restoration is built on the idea of an apostasy. Um, well, we can show historically that their idea of an apostasy never really happened, that their idea of prophets and, and um, you know, what the original church that Jesus founded, what it was really like biblically, hmm. we can, we can uh, deflate all of their claims on a, from a biblical and a rational basis. We can, we can talk to them about you know this whole idea of eternal families, and it has it creates some questions about how that even works, and and certainly there's some biblical principles that undercut that whole idea. We can do all that. I, I don't want to do all that in in today's conversation. There's great resources out there about those all those things, but I as I think about the idea of framing the message, typically because we've said we need to respond to all of those claims on their part that often makes us sound like we're just negative, that we're yeah. just anti-Mormon, yeah. right? And so our whole message to them has been, no, you claim this, but you're wrong. You know, here's another where, area where you're wrong, and we're right, and here's another area. And so we've got plenty of those areas, um, but it makes it feel like that all we're interested in and all we can do is to tear down Mormonism and so that leaves us like, well, then what do we really have to offer? Just we only have an ought to offer a negative critique? Now, it's something meaningful to offer truth, but it doesn't feel like that to them. Hmm. Um, and so that led me to think about, well, then what, it, what do we have to offer? What is inherent in the gospel that could speak hope to the LDS soul, to the LDS 
culture and heart. Yeah, and I think we really need to assess our own selves, assess our own hearts. What is our intent in engaging in these types of conversations? Is our intent more to win an argument? Is our intent more to be proved correct? Is our point um, to knock down some of these negative uh, beliefs? Or, uh, or is our intent actually to love and to offer hope and an invitation to fullness of life? Uh, and, and how best can we do that? So I, I think we have to assess our own intent and our own hearts before we can really move on to communicating the gospel in a way that feels loving. Yeah, that's a great point. Really good point. And it, it, it is a good assessment to say, what's the point of the purpose of this conversation? Um, do I want to prove that I'm right, they're wrong? Or even do I want to even prove that the Bible is right or that God is right or whatever? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're wrong. Or do I really want them to come to a living life-changing, eternity-changing relationship with a Savior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the gospel itself could could be rightly communicated in just a few words, even just the way Jesus communicated the gospel. It was something as simple as, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. That, that was his, that was yeah. his gospel. Um, but as simple as it can be, it is, it is also ubiquitous and fully encompassing our lives and everything in this world. So there's, there's no end of conversation about how good the good news is. But what, what are a handful of things, that, as, as you've seen it, especially relevant among Latter-day Saints, what, what does the gospel actually offer that can be positive and be received as good news? So the way I've thought about this question is to think about what I'm calling four gifts, and I believe these are these are gifts that we could offer to Latter-day Saints that that are faithful to the gospel. They're inherent in the gospel, but they also speak to potentially some of the issues, um, the felt needs that could arise within the Mormon culture themselves itself. And so, um, the first one, gift number one, is we can offer the hope of being fulfilled, the fulfillment of this human desire for transcendence. And what I mean by that is, if you look around the world, through, all, through time and through geography, you see that human beings have this, this built-in propensity to worship. That we're always trying to find something that's greater than us that we can give ourselves to or that we can um, you know, offer praise to or whatever, hmm. um, you know, and, and that, that's always tainted, of course, by, by human sin, but it could be a go- the government, it could be a deity, it could be some nature or something like that, but it seems to be built into the human heart, that we have this place that God, we're creatures. God is the creator, we're creatures. That, that's never going to change. That's the way it is. And so there, there's a joy and a peace that comes from knowing our place in creation. There's a, a satisfaction, fulfillment that comes from worship, but in particular when we enter the presence of the highest possible being, the one who really exists, the one who made us. And so in Mormonism, the, the whole Mormon worldview is striving to become a, a, a god in some sense, striving to, I think, break the boundaries of our creature and creator um, distinction, to become the creator of our own world. 
And yeah. so to get outside of who God has made us to really be, I think we can offer to Latter-day Saints the hope of, of really embracing my place in the created order and the, and the satisfaction and the contentment that comes from that realization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really believe that when we when we grasp our relationship, our, our genuine relationship before God, that w- we can actually be fully satisfied because we're functioning and we're understanding ourselves the way that God actually intended. So the designer intended us to be the designed, to be the created, to be worshipers. And so when we do that, we're, we're most satisfied compared with if we're longing for this unavailable transcendence. Right. And I think you can look back in Scripture and see examples, positive and negative, of this. You can see, um, for example, in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, you could argue that Adam and Eve were trying to transcend their proper uh, creaturely boundaries. Because they they thought they said, oh, God has a privilege of knowing, you know, all these things, this good and evil, whatever is represented by that tree. Well, we want that too, and so rather than operating within the boundaries God set for them, they reached too high, so to speak, and um, and they suffered the consequences of that. They weren't content with the nature of the relationship, the way God created it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Latter Day Saints who many of them are feeling this, they're, they're working hard to become that kind of being or that, that person, um, and they're not living up to it. They're not ever going to be able to live up to it because God is creature, a creator and we're creatures. And so it's impossible for us to, to break through that barrier. Um, it's inherent in the nature of reality. But if you're not living up to that and you're supposed to, then there's going to be a disconnect and there's going to be a sense of, of discontentment and a sense of um, failure. And, and so we can offer then, then to them the gift of knowing their place in the universe and, and living and being content in that place. Yeah. Yeah, you described it as a felt need. Um, I've heard others describe it as like a, a stress point, this, this point in uh, a person's life where they just they feel some stress, they feel some tension, they, there's not satisfaction, there's not quite contentment. Um, but there's there's something that might be nagging that makes space for a, a message of hope, a message mm-hmm. of good news to be spoken into it. Yeah, that's a great a great way to took, to look at it is to t- call it a stress point because there are definitely some real stress or uh, issues in Mormonism. And so moving on, you know, thinking about that with that in mind, the second gift is that we have to offer that's inherent in the gospel is the delight of an intimate relationship with God. Yeah. We can know God personally. That's that's you know, biblically. That's throughout uh, the scriptures, Old and New Testament, is this idea we can know God personally. Well, well, Jesus talks about. He says some things that that create this sense of distinction between servants and children. You know, in John chapter fifteen, he talks about being servants versus friends. That's part of it, and then other other places in the New Testament, we're invited to become children of God. And how, you know, in, um, in a couple different Gospels, it talks about how God's generosity toward his children, you know, with a father, if you ask for a fish, he's going to give you a stone. Yeah. So there's a certain relationship there that's, that's inherent in, in, with God, Abba, Father. But if you think about the difference between 
how servants relate to their master or their employer, so to speak, in, in contemporary terms, versus how children relate to their parent, at least in a healthy family situation. They're, those are two different kinds of relationships. They both, they both are characterized by obedience, but, but that's about as far as it goes. The servant obeys the master in a transactional manner. Hmm. You know, you give me my paycheck, and so I'm going to do this for you, or I did this yeah. for you, so I deserve my, that paycheck, and that's it. They, you may not, never have any kind of real personal relationship beyond the clocking in, clocking out. Whereas children also obey their parent, but it's not necessarily transactional. Now, it can devolve to that, but there's also much more to it where the children takes delight in their parent. The children, the child loves the parent, and, and, and vice versa. And so there's much more relationship that's going on there. And I feel like many Latter-day Saints are relating to God as servants, not as children. Yeah. Even though they have this, this idea that we are literally children of God, how they actually relate to him is you know, in a very transactional manner. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, so a felt need or a stress point in this area is that the the way that a Latter-day Saint is relating isn't quite as satisfying because they have this this desire and a hunger to know God on such a personal level, to be like a child in the Father's arms or, or be like a friend of Jesus and not just a servant working for wages. And so they may feel this, this desire for more intimacy that their religious structure isn't quite able to provide. Right, exactly. You know, it's uh, working hard. Again, you know, in all of these areas that we're going to talk about, you know, the Latter-day Saint person might be working really hard at their faith. Yeah. But it leaves them lacking in some key ways. And in this way, it's like, oh, it made, you know, the heart desire to really know God personally. And instead, it's my whole relationship with God is mediated through this system of commandments and ordinances and through this institutional church and all the rest. So we can offer, you know, that conduit through Jesus personally to, to know God, uh, to know God him intimately and well. So the third one is this idea of um, security and assurance before God. Now, that, what a gift that is, to know that I'm mm. accepted by God unconditionally yeah. because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I've done. And all of, all of God's promises you know, are unconditional, and, and my assurance comes not from what I've done, but what God has said. And so um, the thing is, in, in Latter-day Saint system, nobody can ever know whether they're worthy enough. Nobody yeah. can ever know where they really stand. And I remember having this conversation with my dad, who was LDS before he passed away. Um, I said, you know, how you doing on how you doing on living up to? And he says, well, I don't really. I said, I said uh, he had a terminal diagnosis, cancer. And I said, are you ready to meet God? You know. And he says, well, I've done everything I can. I think I, you know. But he didn't know. He didn't know yeah, for sure, sure that that he was ready to meet God. Because there's always that sense. Well, maybe I didn't do enough, or maybe I didn't give it 100%. I thought I did, but I, maybe I didn't. And so that we can, we can offer that. It's inherent in the gospel that you can know that God, um, that, that you're going to be with God, that you're, gonna, you're accepted by God. You can know because he said so. Yeah, there's no, there's no gradients in the gospel. Either you, you've been set free or not. 
you you either are a child or you're not. Whereas in, in the Latter-day Saint structure, so often there's there's the gradient of, well, how do I measure? Am I am I 75%? Am I 90%? Or or how how have I given it my all? And there's there's uncertainty there. Right. Exactly. And so so that that could be gnawing at somebody's heart. And and then the gospel then becomes really good news mm-hmm. for that person. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the fourth one, it might be the most obvious one. Um, it, it's the good news of God's grace that's lavished on us in Christ. We have the we have this gift to offer that God has lavished His grace on us in Christ for those who come to Him. And so you know the the, the stress point here is I think a lot of LDS people just get worn out trying to achieve worthiness, trying to achieve perfection. And at times then the, pr- the pressure to perform in that, in that high demand system can really become um, overwhelming um, mm-hmm. or, and it can be defeating. Yeah. Um, and so the person becomes really discouraged. Mormonism doesn't feel like good news at that point at all. Yeah. So in each of these, there's the felt need or stress point of maybe not living up to what I'm supposed to be in, in my place in the cosmos. There's a, a felt need of uh, the the religious structure I'm in doesn't quite give me the relationship with the Lord that I, I long for. Or a felt need is I'm insecure in my in my place before God. Am I am I in I'm in the kingdom? Am I am I almost there? Am I close to the kingdom? Um, or there's a felt need of just feeling exhausted from achieving worthiness and placing the burden on myself and not, I know that I'm not perfect. And so in in a lot of ways, these felt needs, these stress points do overlap with reality. They're not, they're not needs that are incorrect needs or misplaced needs. These, these are actually genuine needs that a person has their spiritual needs that the gospel actually addresses. Yeah. And so the, the, the felt need in this, in this way of thinking is, is actually assumed. It's assumed that each person is, is feeling some of these needs, but what, what if a neighbor or a friend doesn't, doesn't appear to be feeling these felt needs or having these stress points? Yeah, this is a challenge on two levels, it's just a challenge of human nature, and it's a challenge of LDS culture, because most human beings don't want to appear vulnerable or needy, um, and don't want even to appear that to themselves. Hmm. You know, I want to feel adequate. I want to feel like I'm, you know, scoring. Um, but in LDS culture, in particular, there's this sense of external affirmation that's important that I have to look like I'm measuring up um, that I you know that I have to maintain this image in the culture that I'm you know a worthy person and so forth so there's a there's a challenge of vulnerability in LDS culture and so I might not know I might I might not be able to look at my neighbor over the back fence and they're doing all their family activities and going to church and all the rest and have any inkling at all that that these internal um, challenges are occurring in their heart. I don't know. I, I can know if they divulge that to me. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so for that to happen, I, I need to be able to be willing to work on a relationship with them 
and include them. And I and part of that means I need to be um, a safe place for them, a safe yeah, person, right. which means I'm willing to listen unconditionally and not judgmentally. But it also means maybe I'm willing to be vulnerable myself about some of my own challenges in life before they'll trust me to divulge. They're certainly not going to divulge those challenges within their own culture because of the, the level of perfection that's required hmm. or expected, but they might divulge it to a safe Christian friend. Yeah. So we can, we can even bring this into uh, understanding how did Jesus do this? So certainly Jesus interacted with many, many sorts of people uh, on a wide spectrum, those who knew they were broken, they they, ha- they wore their felt needs on their shoulder, uh, to those who they thought they were you know, straining out a gnat and they were the best thing that this world had to offer. H- how did Jesus interact with people along this spectrum? Yeah, I think that's a great question because in the LDS world, again, there are a number of people who are living the life, they they think that they're achieving you know, what they're trying to, they're active, they're righteous by their terms, so or self-righteous, we might say. But So there's a number of Latter-day Saints who apparently would look a lot like maybe the religious self-righteous people that Jesus encountered. And then there's others who, um, who aren't. Again, we may not know, but we may because they may have just said, look, I can't even live up to this. I'm not even going to try. Yeah, yeah. And so they begin to just drift away from their activity in the Mormon church. And so I think there's a lot of parallels but what I've observed in the in the Gospels is Jesus interacts with different kinds of those kinds of people, that when he's interacting with the religious self righteous, he always seems to slip in, at least maybe sometimes very overtly, but but at least at least minimally he slips in some kind of judgment, some hmm. kind of challenge or critique to them, and when he's interacting with the person who already acknowledges their brokenness, he. He gives hope and encouragement, um, you know, and, and he gives, he offers them, you know, um, sort of grace and, and mercy. And so you can see that throughout, throughout the, the New Testament. So part of that example is then, then how do I discern in my conversation with the LDS person how much, you know, to slip in a, uh, a, a critique and how much to offer grace and mercy and hope. Mm-hmm. And this pattern is even resident in the Old Testament as well, that many of the Old Testament prophets were confronting issues, but at the same time they were always giving invitations to turn, always giving invitations to life and to experience God's full blessing for their lives. Yeah, let me look at—let's just look at one example. Um, there's many, many examples in, in the— in the Bible, but let me let's just look for a second at one example of this dichotomy. It's in Luke chapter seven, where Jesus goes to have dinner with a Pharisee named Simon, and while they're eating, you know, um, kind of an odd thing happens. This woman comes in, and she's a and she's a, a sinner in Simon's eyes. In Simon's eyes, she comes in and she uh, starts washing Jesus' feet. And she's washing his feet with her tears as she's weeping over over the, this encounter. Simon criticizes her. He says, no, he criticizes Jesus essentially. He says, Look, if you really, if he really knew in his heart, he's saying this, if he really knew what kind of woman this was, 
then he there's no way in the world he would let her touch him. Yeah. Now Jesus has a disadvantage that we don't have. He understood Simon's heart and thoughts. And so he confronted Simon with that. Simon, look, dude, he says, you didn't even offer me any hospitality when I came in. You didn't offer to wash my feet at all, which would have been you know, a, a standard sign of respect to your guest. Sure, sure. You know, he, and he said, but you did not do anything, you know, to be hospitable, to be gracious, to be kind to me as your guest. This woman, she's washed my feet with her own tears. And, and then, he, then he goes on to say, look, she's shown how much she has loved me. And then that's, so she's shown really how greatly forgiven she is. And so you have the two sides right there in one episode. You have the, the self-righteous Pharisee who doesn't feel like there's any need, and he treats Jesus you know, kind of cavalierly. And Jesus says, look, he says, look you, you should have done this, but you didn't. And then you have the woman who is broken in her felt need, and she's just worshiping Jesus because she, she feels this amazing sense of forgiveness in spite of all of her sin. And he treats her with kindness and and uh, demonstrates, um, you know, the reality of forgiveness to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this calls for great wisdom on our part as we're interacting with Latter Day Saint neighbors and friends. We, we really need to be reliant on the Holy Spirit to discern: is is this an interaction where I, I need to um, recognize a stress point, recognize a felt need, and meet it with one of these one of these um, gifts or something else that just communicates good news that touches and and uh, refreshes that person, or or is there an opportunity that the Lord is actually leading me into where I need to probe a little bit, or or maybe even identify something that my friend or neighbor hasn't yet recognized about their self righteousness, so that they understand that they are truly in a deep need, whether they feel it or not, whether they're hiding it or not that they have a need, and match it with the offer and the invitation that Jesus gives for them to lay themselves down humbly, seek mercy, and and have assurance that they can receive it. That's a great summary. I, I couldn't say it any better than that. Well, thank you for sharing those, those four gifts that help us understand uh, better ways that we can communicate the gospel that sound like good news and are received loving. Again, this is the CultureWise podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace.